When I lived in um, England, I was in Genesis chapter 4 in my personal devotions. And there you have this story of the first two brothers, Cain and Abel. And at one point, God said to these brothers, Cain and Abel, bring me a sacrifice. And Cain was a farmer. And he worked and tilled the soil hard, pulling out the weeds. And he said, I'm going to bring God what I worked for, what I labored for, what I am responsible for. And so he brought this produce to the Lord for a sacrifice. And then that brother Abel, all he did was to go out to his sheepfold and grab a little sheep his best sheep, and bring that to God. And God looked at the two sacrifices, and he chose Abel's. And that made Cain so upset that God would choose what Abel did not have to work for and refuse what Cain had put effort and and strife into. God refused it. And when God looked at these two brothers, he saw that Cain's countenance had fallen. Something had gone on in Cain's heart, and Cain was angry. And the Lord spoke to Cain, and he said, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not, do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. Well, that was my devotion that morning in England. We had a landlord, and his name was Prober Sin. His last name was Sin. And that day, he was coming over to inspect our house. In England, if you're a renter or a litter, as they say, I let my house, I'm a letter, they would... Um, the landlords come over every nine months and they inspect the house. They inspect how you clean it. They can look in your cupboards. They can, they can have free reign to criticize, raise your rent, kick you out. Nine months. So I know that I'm about to be inspected. I hate any time where I'm held in the balances. You know, meeny, meeny, tuckle, you farson. I hate those times. You know, you're being weighed in the balances. You know how it is. You know, you, you go to your high school reunion, and you just know you're going to be weighed in the balances. You know, how many lines she got, you know? What's her weight now? You, know, you just know those times, meeny, meeny, tackle you farce. And as women, we're always having those meeny, meeny times. And so, you know, I just know it. And so I'm waiting there, and I'm on pins and needles. I've done my absolute best to clean the house. But it's like swimming upstream. I've got two teenagers and two children that are elementary age, and I'm homeschooling them, which means they're home all the time making messes. And the doorbell rings, and the scripture comes to me, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if not, sin is at the door. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of truth in that, though. If we do well, we will be accepted. But if not, sin is at the door, and it wants to take advantage over us. It wants to rule us. And when sin rules, as Brian was saying Sunday, it's tyrannical. It is a cruel taskmaster. And it's condemning, and it's destructive, and it's ugly. 
But God never intended that sin should rule over us, but that we should rule over sin. God never intended that we should be overcome with fear, but that we should overcome fear with faith. This is what God's intention is for us. In our chapter today, Acts chapter 5, we have a chapter of contrast. We have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who were overcome by sin. They opened the door to sin, and it took full advantage of them. They tried to withhold from God and thought they could withhold from God and still be safe. Thought they could have this area of compromise and sin and not be affected in the least by it. But then the contrast is with the disciples. The disciples gave absolutely all to Jesus Christ. Did it give them an easy life? No. But it gave them a prosperous life. It gave them a purposeful life. It gave them a glorious life. And that's the contrast that we are going to look at today. Annas and Sapphira gave in to the temptation of the devil. And sin took advantage and Satan filled their heart. And they ended up being exposed, humiliated, and dying. Whereas the disciples who gave all were blessed, delivered, and emboldened. And that embolden led them to rejoicing. Now it's interesting to realize that it's Peter who deals with Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter is going to say to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Now, I find this fascinating because Peter knew the voice of Satan, didn't he? There was a time, you can find this story in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is talking about going to the cross. Now, just minutes before that, Peter has had this glorious revelation from God. And Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming to this world. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I mean, that's just one of those, whoa, I've been used by God moments. Those are so exciting. When, you know, you're praying for somebody and they open their eyes and they're like, how did you know exactly what I was going through? And you're like, thank you, Jesus, you know? And you just know that the Lord's revealed it to you. And that was this Peter's just had this glorious revelation. And now Jesus begins to talk about the suffering that he will experience in Jerusalem. And Peter says, not so, Lord. But now Jesus turns to him and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art, thou art mindful of the things that are of man and not of God. In other words, the devil has filled your mind with the things that have to do with men and not with God. You see, this subtle suggestion had entered Peter's mind and begun to take possession, begun to fill his mind. And what was that suggestion? It was that there should be no suffering and no discomfort in the, in, when you're walking with Jesus. 
the thought was of self-promotion. No, everything should be lifting us higher, getting our names out there. Everything should be about self-protection, self-promotion, self-comfort. Those thoughts, those thoughts, my sisters, let me warn you, they are always, always of the devil. Any suggestion, protect yourself. Protect yourself by picking up a weapon of the flesh, by refusing the will of God, is of the devil. Now, I'm not saying don't protect yourself. You know, I've got an alarm system, and I've got a barking dog back at my house. I'm not saying that there's not steps. You know, I lock my doors. What I'm saying is when you hear the word protect yourself by disobeying God, by not doing the will of God, protect yourself, keep yourself... You know, God's asking something that's going to make you vulnerable. Don't do it. Remember the disciples in John chapter 11. Jesus said, you know, Lazarus is there and we need to go wake him. And they said, Lord, it's not safe for you to go to Judea at this time. There's some hostilities that we feel. And Jesus said, he who walks in the light is safe. Are there not 12 hours of light Those who walk in the light are safe. When we are walking in the will of God, we are safe. As Rosemary Goforth said, there is no safer place than the will of God. But the enemy will say, protect yourself. God's will makes you too vulnerable. That's the enemy. Protect yourself. Insulate yourself from people. Don't get around women. They're dangerous. You know, don't open up. It's dangerous. Don't walk in the light. That's dangerous. The next one is self-promotion. When you ever hear the voice, what about you? Oh, inviting you to that pity party. What about you? What's in it for you? I'm worried about you. You're like, you are? I mean, it's always so good when someone's worried about us because our husband's off and you're like, and they're like, you'll be fine. I'm only gone for six weeks. Like, ah! But that pity party, what about you? What about your comfort? Oh, wow, we love our comfort, don't we? We prize our comfort above all else. You know, during the hippie movement, when all these hippies started coming to Jesus, we had so many complaints about the music. People were uncomfortable with the music. It's too loud. They use guitars. And they were willing to forsake a generation hearing about Jesus because they didn't like the sound of it. They didn't like the look of it. Some of them, some of them even smell like pot. And they did. I mean, Pancho Juarez said he smoked a joint in the parking lot before he came in and went forward to Jesus. That's in his book. But sometimes we care about our comfort so much. I had a woman come up to me and she said to me, I saw an Arab-looking man in the congregation. I said, okay. She goes, what are we doing to, to you know, make sure there are no bombs in here? I said, well, we're, we're putting our faith in the scripture that says no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's what we're doing. And I said, you know, I know many, many Palestinian Christians. I know many, many Arab believers. We have um, Sammy 
here at the church, Sammy Tanago, who's an Egyptian born-again Christian, shares the gospel with Muslims, wrote a book um, that says, Jesus Loves You, My Muslim Friend. Excellent book. And he is a great apologist. But he was saying right after 9-11, he was flying somewhere. And every time he got up, the whole plane went silent. And everybody's watching him. And he says, he's getting something over the overhead. And he says, it is all right. I am a born-again Christian. I love Jesus. You are totally safe with me. But, you know, we get into our comfort, don't we? We hate anything that disturbs our comfort, don't we? And Annas and Nias and Sapphira, they were worried about their comfort. That was really what it was about. If we give all this money away, we, we won't be comfortable anymore. We need to protect ourselves. We need to have this nest egg. We need to make sure that we are covered. Now, again, it's not wrong to lock your doors. It's not wrong to have a savings account. But when you want to look like you're giving all to Jesus and you're holding back, that gives the devil an advantage. And Satan knew that subtle suggestion that could fill the mind. And that's why he said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Now notice that Peter said, didn't say, why did you let Satan suggest this to you? Why did you let Satan add this to your heart? Why did you let Satan put this into your heart? No, he said, Ananias, why did you let Satan take over your heart? Why did you let him fill it? Peter recognized the devious work of the devil in Ananias and Sapphira. Earlier in the history of this little church, Barnabas, who was a Levite, had sold a plot of ground and decided to give everything to Jesus. That was just what he felt called to do. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to mimic that, but not give it all. Peter says, when you had that money, when you sold that, wasn't that land in your possession? And when you sold it, wasn't it still in your possession? You didn't have to give anything away. You could have just given some. But the fact that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, that was the problem. They wanted not only self-protection, but they wanted self-promotion. They wanted people to think that they were more committed to Christ than they really were. They wanted people to think that they were more generous than they really were. It was pride. And pride made them play the hypocrite. And this led them to lie. You know, what is hypocrisy but the living out of a lie? To pretend to be something when you're something else. You know... I don't understand people that pretend. I don't, you know, if you're going to pretend to be sweet, why not just be sweet? You know, why pretend to be sweet and then be mean? If you, if you know you need to pretend to be sweet, then be sweet, right? I mean, I, I don't understand people who pretend to be sweet, but they're like, ah, why? Do you really like that ah, side? I mean, if you really like that ah, side, you wouldn't need to pretend to be sweet, Right? If it was okay to be that, then be that all the time. 
But don't pretend. The fact that you have to pretend to be something that you're not is problematic. Be the person that you pretend to be. Be that person. Become that person. You know, I believe, and the Bible teaches this in Peter. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter um, 3, about the hidden woman of the heart. You know, there is a woman in there who is sweet, right? In all of us. But, you know, there's this woman who's guarding her. Okay, so we all have multiple personalities, okay? Just get over it. But, you know, because we got the flesh and the spirit. That's two personalities right there. So you've got this hidden woman of the heart, the person you really want to be. But then you've got this person of the flesh that says, no, she's not safe. So we have to be mean to everybody. And we just let her be nice every once in a while and cover her up real quick. You know what I mean? So we end up becoming a pretense. And there's a woman who's begging to get out and to be the kind, godly woman that God has created her to be. But Satan will lie and say, no, don't let her out. Protect her. Protect her by fighting everybody all the time, by saying mean words. Protect her by keeping her comfortable. You just stay in that little cave. Don't come out. Protect her by promoting her and, you know, just making sure that her name is always up there, that she's going to get something out of everything. It's the subtle suggestion. But what happens is when you listen to Satan... He will fill your heart. When you listen to his, his threats and the fears, he will fill your whole heart with fear. How many of you have felt that filling of your heart with fear before? It starts with this little thing, and then pretty soon you're shaking and you're terrified because he will fill your heart with fear. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Satan will always take things to the next level. Give him an inch, and he'll take the whole heart. We cannot afford to follow any of his suggestions. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul tells us, don't give the devil an advantage. In Ephesians 4.27, Paul warns, neither give place to the devil. There is never a safe time to have the devil over for tea. Never. He's never safe. It's never good to have him in your home. Never good to answer the door when he's knocking. Never good to let him get his foot in the door. Never safe. Again, Ananias wanted to look as if he was giving all. He wanted to impress that early church. Satan had said to him, oh, you're just going to impress people. They're going to think you're spiritual. But in reality, he was lying to the Holy Spirit. The the charge, the issue was so much more serious than what Ananias sought. You know, sin is so much more serious then Satan will play it out to be. Satan will make it, oh, misdemeanor. God says felony, death penalty. He'll always make this sin like, oh, no, you're just protecting yourself. You're, you're just keeping your comforts. You're not being mean. You're, you're not yelling. 
you're not criticizing, you're not really lying, you're not really slandering, you're not really gossiping. You're just protecting your interests. You're just letting other people know how bad these people are. No, 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 no. That's what Satan will say. But the charge is so much serious, more serious. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And it resulted in exposure. That's what will happen. First, Satan will take that inch, he'll fill the heart, and it will be exposed. It is always exposed. Make make no mistake, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. As Moses said in, I believe it's Numbers or Deuteronomy, be sure your sins will find you There's exposure, then there's humiliation. Isn't it humiliating when everybody knows how you've sinned? And then there's death. Now, this death can either be the death to sin, or it can be spiritual death, depending on how you respond to it. We are bombarded by a hundred satanic suggestions every day. Perhaps you, like Peter, have learned to discern. Have you learned to discern between the voice of God and the voice of devil? Again, Satan will always suggest self-protection to prove yourself, self-promotion, and self-comfort. He will always do this. Look at the temptation of Christ in Mark chapter 4. What you see there is that the devil is saying, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4. You see there that what Satan is saying is, Prove yourself. Notice how he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself. Whenever you find yourself in a position like, oh, I need to prove myself, ooh, watch out. That's a very, very dangerous place. The better alternative is be still and know that he is God. Let Jesus be your defense, your fortress, your refuge. It will often begin like an innocent suggestion that offers some compromise. Often that's how it is. Oh, just just compromise. Just do this. Just keep some of the money and nobody has to know. Just protect your comfort. Nobody has to know. In Psalm 141, verses 3 through 5, David asked God's help in resisting the ways of evil people. I find this so interesting. He says, put a guard over my mouth. I pray that every day. Put a guard over my mouth. I don't trust my mouth. My tongue is an unruly person. But what David is saying here is we are so tempted at times for our own self-protection to fight fire with fire, lies with lies, hypocrisy with hypocrisy, and we end up taking up the enemy's weapons. I think back to Star Wars, the third episode can't remember what the name is, like the Emperor Returns or something. And, and there Luke Skywalker is before the Emperor. And if he picks up that sword, he loses. But the Emperor begins to say, I feel the heat in you. It is strong. Pick it up. Pick it up. Look, I am vulnerable. Just kill me now. And you know, you're like, no, Luke, no. And he's going for the sword. And you're just like, no, Luke, no, resist. Of course, we know he picks it up and sad movie. But anyway, 
my point is this. This is what the enemy's doing. You know you want it. Just lie. They're lying. Look how strong their lies are. Just a little lie, you know? Just a little punch, you know? Just a little hit. Just a little hit, man. That's all we need. You know, and he starts playing with our mind and strategies and schemes. The devil is a schemer. Whenever you feel a strategy going through your mind, this is how we'll do it. Ooh, that's a while of the devil. Don't give into it. So how do we resist the devil? Peter, uh, James said, resist the devil and he will flee. How do we resist the devil? I know that when those suggestions come into my mind, I have to say, no. I am not listening, and I pray for Saeed in Iran. (laughs) Or I pray for my friend Amy Joy to be healed. I do substitution, cognitive substitution. I say, no, I'm not giving into that. I know that's not of my father, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to lean into the Holy Spirit. You see, the way to be free from being filled with the lies of Satan in our hearts to be filled with um, Satan's tactics is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that is what we need to be. And today, either we're vulnerable to being filled, our heart being filled with fear and the tactics of the devil, or we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As you know, Sapphira came in just a few minutes later. Peter gave her a chance saying, Sapphira, was the property sold for this price? She had conspired with her husband, and she said, yes. And we know Sapphira was then exposed, humiliated, and killed. Because this is what sin will ultimately do. Expose you, humiliate you, and kill you. But there is a contrast. There is a better way. And that is being filled with the Spirit of God in our hearts. How do we do this? We must continually surrender our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but that which comes out. For inside the heart are murders and seditions and, you know, jealousies and, you know, lies and ugliness. It's in our heart already. And we need Jesus to go in and do a heart cleansing. You know, every time I read that verse, you know, I'd like to think I'm better than I am. Oh, no, not me. They would forsake you, not me. I'd like to think that. But every time I read that verse, you know what I do? I put my hands on it and said, it's true, it's true, it's true. Take it out. Take rulership of my heart. I can't do it, Lord. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know the depths of our own depravity in our heart. That's why we need to give our hearts fully to the Holy Spirit, fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, you take over. You bought this heart with your blood. It belongs to you. And let Jesus reign in our hearts. Every day I pray this prayer. Lord, let me love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes I pray it three times during the night because you know what? I know in my own strength I am incapable of loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know that. I need the divine power of heaven to come in and put agape 
in my heart that I might love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you know what? That is my life objective. Don't you want to make that your life objective? Let's make our life objective. Lord, let me love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to do it in me, Lord. And when we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know what? There's no place for the devil. There is no place for his fears, no place for his thoughts. What is it to love the Lord with all our heart? It's to love him with all of our emotions and desires. Lord, let me love you with every emotion and desire in me. What is it to love the Lord with our soul? It's to love the Lord with our will. I will to love you. What is it to love the Lord with our mind, with our thoughts? That our thoughts might be focused on glorifying and loving the Lord. And what is it to love the Lord with our strength? It's to love him with all that we do. What can we expect when we surrender our hearts like this to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit? Well, it's seen in Acts 5, verses 12 through 42. And don't you love that there's only 11 verses to the devil and the rest is all for Jesus? The majority of this chapter is about Jesus. First of all, we can expect blessing. Look at how God was using these disciples because they decided to give everything to Jesus Christ. We're told that wherever Peter went, people were bringing the sick out into the streets and just Peter's shadow falling on them, they'd be healed. They'd be touched. And we're told that they were all healed. There were no exceptions. Everyone who sought out Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, was healed. Now notice, they came to Peter. Peter didn't go to them. They came with expectation that God would heal them. They were looking for Jesus Christ in Peter, and they found it. Jesus' work cannot be tainted by sin. It must be pure. And see, if Peter had regarded sin in his heart, there couldn't be this work. As, it's, as he said in verse 32, that the Holy Spirit is given to them who obey Jesus. There has to be this act of obedience to have the power of the Spirit. And what is that? We have to be given over to Jesus. We often find that people who pray and do not receive are harboring some sin or holding back some area from Jesus. I remember praying for a girl to be filled with the Holy Spirit for 45 minutes. And I was in a room... And it was one of those times where there was prayer going on. And I had these women who had never even prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, praying for other women. I didn't know they weren't filled with the Spirit yet. And they were praying. And these girls that they were praying for, they were um, college-age girls. They were all being filled in the Spirit. And later they came to me and said, okay, what just happened? Because we don't have that. And I'm like, ooh, you need it. So we prayed for them, and they got filled. But as I was, um, I was praying with this one girl, and nothing was happening. You know, and you were praying and praying, and I just feel this resistance. And I finally turned to her, I said, Honey, is there some unconfessed sin in your life? Because I feel like something is, is keeping back the work of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, she began to confess all this sin, all of it. It just like spelled out all this sin. And she started crying, and she started repenting before the Lord, and the next thing you know, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And her countenance became from this to radiant. 
He gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey. We can't have compromise and the power of Jesus working through us at the same time. James said, can sweet and bitter water flow from the same well? The answer is no. Brackish water is salt water that meets fresh water. And what happens? It turns salty. We must, we must keep a full surrender to Jesus. And so we see miracles, signs and wonders done by the hands of the apostles. People brought the sick and tormented and the shadow falling on them, they were all healed. We also see the blessing of favor. Even the non-believers respected them. I think about Saddam Hussein and how he filled his cabinet with Christians because he knew he could trust Christians. Even though he himself was a Muslim, he filled his cabinet with Christians because they were more trustworthy than the Muslims. We're told in verse 11 that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And none dared to join them. In other words, no one who was harboring compromise, who wasn't willing to give it all, dared to join them. And people esteemed them very highly. Even Gamaliel, who was a known teacher and leader in Israel, advised the Sanhedrin to leave the disciples alone, lest they might find themselves fighting against God. And then in verse 14, we're told that God added to the church daily such as should be saved. Believers were coming in. Next, we see deliverance. These apostles were delivered. In Psalm 34, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I hate that. I'd like, you know, the righteous get three afflictions, and then it's over for life. But it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Talk about entirety. And, you know, I love it in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where God has delivered us, and Paul says, and I am confident that he will deliver us from every evil. God is always delivering, and that's what we see. Though the apostles were arrested, though they were imprisoned in the common prison, locked up, guarded, they were delivered by an angel of God. This angel came and set them free and commissioned them, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 20. Isn't that just amazing? These Disciples were unstoppable. You couldn't chain them. You couldn't imprison them because they were fully surrendered. Their heart was filled with Jesus Christ. You know, we are saved today, but you know what we have right now? Eternal life because we've accepted Jesus Christ. And death has no hold on us. Death has become a porthole to life and joy and glory. Only a porthole. Only an entrance way. That's it. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. So this angel commissions them. Go right back and keep doing what you were doing before. Don't stop doing it. And what happens? They're rearrested. They're tried. 
and Gamaliel, this leader in Israel, comes to their defense. They are beaten, but they are released. They are delivered a second time. And what does this lead to? Blessing, deliverance, and now boldness. They are more bold. They are emboldened. Beating them didn't do anything to them. As Peter says to them, we ought to obey God rather than man. When the angel opened the prison doors and brought them out, they returned right back to that temple. You know, talk about being sitting ducks. You know, they went right back to the place where they were found in the first place. You know, we would have thought, well, it's time to leave. You know, it's time to hide out, lay low. Not these guys. They were commissioned by the angel that delivered them, and they're going right back. And these temple guards know exactly where to find them. You know, it's the worst place to go if you want to avoid trouble. But there's no thought of self-protection, is there? There's no thought of, well, let's protect ourselves and protect our bodies. At their arrest, Peter boldly shared the testimony of Jesus. He was emboldened at his arrest. In verses 29 through 32, he says this, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Talk about boldness. These are the very people that crucified Jesus. And Peter is boldly proclaiming the name and person. But you see, Peter had allowed this person, Jesus Christ, who is exalted and on the right hand of the Father, to rule and reign in his heart. And because the Holy Spirit had filled his heart, he was emboldened. Though the attitude of the council was hostile, they were filled with indignation, they were furious, and they took counsel against them. The apostles rejoiced at the persecution. Verse 41, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now that's bold. That is bold. And then what do we hear? That they went back to the temple daily and in every house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't stop. They were like, well, let's keep doing what we're doing. The Lord is with us. Today, every believer is in one of two places. He is either holding back from Jesus with compromise, which will lead to deception, which will lead to Satan filling your heart or their heart, and it will only end in exposure, humiliation, and death, spiritual and maybe even physical. Or we are giving absolutely everything to Jesus, and we are being filled with the Spirit And we are a conduit for Jesus' work, which leads to being used by God. Blessing and deliverance, which gives us a testimony, and boldness. You know, be careful when you pray for a testimony. I'm just telling you. Because a testimony always starts with a deficit. It's so important that we guard our hearts against any suggestions to hold anything back from Jesus. Any suggestion, oh, hold back, that will make you uncomfortable. Hold back, that will humble you. Hold back, that will, that will, you know, make you vulnerable. Hold back. Any suggestion to hold anything back from Jesus 
is of the devil, and it is very, very dangerous. There is no joy or reward or any good thing that can come from holding back from Jesus. We need to give absolutely everything to Jesus. There's a book that we used to sell. It's out of print now. It's called Fit for the Master's Use by F.B. Meyer. And in that book, F.B. Meyer talks about being a pastor, very educated, extremely brilliant. But he was preaching in London at the same time as Spurgeon. And Spurgeon just had thousands upon thousands upon thousands coming in to his uh, Tabernacle. It was called Metropolitan Tabernacle, this, this meeting place that he had. It was just packed out. And Spurgeon was known for his eloquence. He taught at the Crystal, uh, Crystal Palace in London, and it was absolutely packed out. In fact, Spurgeon had gone there earlier and was shouting just to see the acoustics and where he should stand. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And there was an avowed atheist who was the caretaker for the Crystal Palace. And just hearing Spurgeon say that, he fell on his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Spurgeon was so powerfully used. And here is, here is F.B. Meyer. Now, Spurgeon wasn't educated. F.B. Meyer was highly educated. And he was brilliant. He was a prolific writer. He was intelligent. And he met this uneducated American, D.L. Moody. And when he first met D.L. Moody, he almost disdained him because D.L. Moody was terrible with the English language, absolutely butchered it. And D.L. Moody was not educated beyond seventh grade. And so here's, here's F.B. Meyer, and he has to play D.L. Moody's host in England, this uneducated American. And, you know, there was this English disdain at that time for Americans. And there he is. And every place that Moody goes, revival breaks out. And two of the men who got saved during the Moody revival was, one was C.T. Studd and the other was a man named S.P. Smith. Now, they said that C.T. Studd could, he was educated at Oxford, but they really just let him through because he was such a good cricket player that he could barely talk. He stumbled over his words. It wasn't very good. And then there was S.B. Smith, who was just kind of your average intelligence. But they had gotten saved at D.L. Moody Revival, and they were on fire for Jesus Christ. And after D.L. Moody left, S.P. Smith and C.T. Studd, and why they went by their initials, I don't know. But they were saved under D.L. Moody. So, but, and they did meet F.B. Meyer, I don't know what initials in English, what that, why. D.L. Moody was American. But anyway, a lot of people didn't like their first name. They, they were going around to these different churches and college campuses, like St. Andrew's College in Scotland, and these huge revivals would break forth again every place that these young men went. So F.B. Meyer invited them to his church in London. And what happened? The whole church revived. All these young people came in, and they all got saved. And the Lord started a fire in F.B. Meyer's church. But F.B. Meyer felt like he was on the outside of everything looking in, and he didn't even know if he approved of it. He's the pastor. It was out of his control. He didn't know if he approved. He's looking on, and he's saying, I don't know what's going on. So he decided to search out 
those two men. And he asked, can I meet with you? And they said, yes, come around 4 or 5 in the morning. That's when we get up. F.B. Meyer made his way through the streets of London to the place that uh, Smith and Studd were staying at. And he found them in their room, this is the late 1800s, reading their Bibles by candlelight and praying. And he sat with them and he said, all right, what is it that you have that I don't have? What is it? I pour over the word. I look at the word. I read the word. I preach. But I don't have what you have. I have a better education. I've been a Christian longer. I'm older. I'm established. But I don't have what you have. And they looked at him and they said, have you given God absolutely everything? And F.B. Meyer said, I suppose in a general sense I have, but perhaps not the particulars. And C.T. Studd looked at him and said, but it's the particulars that count. F.B. Meyer went back to his house. He got on his knees and he spent the rest of the day giving God the particulars of his life. And after that, F.B. Meyer became one of the most noteworthy, anointed preachers in England. I would leave you with this thought today. Have you given Jesus Christ absolutely everything? Absolutely everything. Because he gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey And perhaps you would say, I have in a general sense. And I would say, but it's the particulars that count. Let's pray. Lord, I know even right now, Satan wants to resist the giving of absolutely everything to you. Lord, even in this crowd, there is the thought of, oh, will Jesus demand absolutely everything Lord, there is that fear, Lord, that Satan would like to instill in our hearts. What will happen if we give Jesus absolutely everything? Lord, right now I pray that you would remove the spirit of fear in this place. And you would replace it with the spirit of yourself, Lord. That we as women would be willing to give you absolutely everything, especially in these last days. That we might see your spirit work in unprecedented ways in our hearts.